have your Bibles, you can open up to John chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Again, that is John chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man, the Son of Man, be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Before I get started tonight, I do want to mention on Tuesday night, do not forget that there is trunk or treat. So I need you to bring your car and open up your trunk and stand next to it and pass out candy and. I'm sure all the community will be thrilled that you're here. So, that's on this Tuesday, October 31st. We usually start about dark, which I'll say we start at 6.30. And we will pass out candy for, uh, till we run out. Let's just say two hours. All right, tonight we are going to consider really the last song we sang, Lift Him Up, Lift the Savior Up. What's the point? You go back, Isaiah just read from the New Testament in John chapter 3, where we see the Savior was lifted up just as Moses lifted the serpent in the Old Testament. T today, as we consider the Savior lifted up, I'd really like to get the background, so we're going to go ahead and we're going to be looking at Numbers. So if you would, go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 21, and we'll notice the Savior lifted up. As we look at the Savior lift lifted up, there's going to be a few things that uh, we will notice as we go through, first off, we'll notice their complaints. We'll know that, notice the contamination in the land, and we'll also notice the cure. But as we think about the Savior lifted up, in, in Numbers chapter 21, it all starts out with some complaining, with some murmuring, with some lack of trust. Now, just to make sure we have what's in view, remember that we've got the children of Israel that were were slaves in Egypt. Moses, you might say the unlikely of sorts to be the leader, the one that was uh, high up in the, the hierarchy, one that was considered to be uh, top-notch amongst the nobles, part of the, part of the ruler status. Becomes the one that is the one that is willing to lead them out. Well, you go a little bit further and we see they, they have the miracles that that take place, the signs that are shown to show that Moses is the one and that he was sent by God, and Pharaoh, you better let them go. Go just a little bit further in time as he's leading them out of Egypt. They get to the Red Sea, and we see that the Red Sea is parted. They walk across on dry land. You continue to go throughout time, and we have this people, children of Israel, that God cares for. In multiple ways, as you walk on the, watch their journeys, as you see they walk through the wilderness, there's multiple times that God shows his power and his care that he brings to his people. And if you get to Numbers chapter 21, you get, not long ago, we see that Aaron's, Aaron's rod buds a few chapters back. And then you come back most recently, at the very beginning of, of Numbers chapter 21, we see that the Canaanites were destroyed. They were delivered from the Canaanites in uh, verses 1 through 3. So that brings us to chapter 21, verses 4 through 5, 
And we're going to look at the complaints that they have. Notice in verse 4, it says, Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And they people spoke against God and against Moses, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. First off, in verse 4, we see that they're upset because they have to travel the long way around. God had just delivered them, or given the Canaanites into their hands. They, they defeated them, and now they're upset because they have to turn back and go back a different way. So we see in verse 4 that as they go, it says the soul of the people became very discouraged. First off, they lived through the battle, and yet now they're still upset. Bring it around, having to travel the long way. Sometimes in our lives, you think about our travel. Our travel is really one of a spiritual life. When you think about our spiritual life and the way things go in life, sometimes it's just not easy. Sometimes it seems as though our Christian life is the long way around. In order to get to heaven, it seems like everything goes wrong along the way. So they start to complain. They start to get upset because they don't just have the direct route. Because it's not just overly easy. Sometimes as Christians, we might have the same idea that they did. Why do I have to go the long way around? Well, you go a little bit further, and I think it even gets more interesting. Notice their disdain for the, for the food that God supplied. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, it says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing or raiment. Okay, you think about them as you read in verse 5. They've just been given this food. They've been, been given the food and the water. And they mention and they say, our, our soul loathes this food. We, we hate it. We don't want it. I think, about, I think about the society in which we live in. We've got these people that did absolutely nothing to deserve free food that God abundantly gives to them so that they can, they can survive. And yet they turn around and they complain because God gave them food and they're just tired of it. I think the other one that we're going to look at would be the most interesting to Moses. They wonder, where is the water coming from? I can only imagine what, what Moses must have been, been thinking when they say, we're not going to have any water. For there is no food and there is no water. It hasn't been that long ago. You can go back to Numbers chapter 20, verse 11. And Moses lifts up the, his hand. And then he strikes the rock twice. And later he realizes or he understands and he's told that, look, you're going to be punished for it. Because, because of what you have done, because you didn't speak to the rock as I told you to do, look, you're not going to the promised land. You're not going to see the promised land. Well, he did see the promised land. You're not going to go and live there. You're not going to go dwell there. So we see the wonder for water. We see Moses, as he leads them, has provided water miraculously on two occasions from a rock 
they are prov provided water and yet they complain. So they complain because they get free food. They complain because they're out in the wilderness and they don't know where the water is going to come from, yet God has provided on two separate occasions. We see they complain because they don't get to go on the easy way. Why don't we just take the easiest route to get where we're going? Sometimes I think it's very easy in life to focus on complaints. You know, we sing a song, Count Your Many Blessings. If you think about the children of Israel and everything that had gone right in their world, first off, getting out of slavery, period, the opportunity to be freed. But they don't focus on that. To have the opportunity to have the miraculous powers of God shown to the Pharaoh of Egypt so that they can be freed. They don't, they don't think about that. The Red Sea. You can think about countless things that took place. The free food. <laughs> the water that comes from a rock. All the things that happened for them, and yet they focus on the little setbacks in life. They focus on the things that upset them, so they have complaints. When I think of complaints today, I feel like it would be very similar to excuses. Because really all they're saying is, no food, no water. What, what kind of an excuse is that? God, God has provided all this time. God has provided for them from the time that they left Egypt to now. They've never died because of that. God has provided a way out. God has provided for them. When I think of the complaints today, there's, no, there's any number of excuses that we could come up with to be the children of Israel and be there. Rather than focusing on the blessings and the, the most important part of life in that of reaching eternal life, they focus on the little things that get in the way along the way. Not only do we see that they've got complaints, not only can we understand that there might be some things that we can complain about, but notice the contamination that follows. We're going to look at Numbers chapter 21, and we're just going to be noticing verses 6 and 7. In verse 6 it says, So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Within the contamination, we see that the, the Lord sends these serpents that will then bring them back to their right mind, will bring them back to understanding who's in charge and who's in control. As you think about this, there's kind of a misnomer in the religious world today. There's a thought that God will not punish me because I'm a good person. God will not punish a person that's been baptized because, hey, once they've been baptized, then they'll be saved forever. However, within the contamination, notice first, who is it that's contaminated? We're not talking about the other nations. We're talking about the children of Israel. You see in verse... Verse 6, the Lord sends fiery serpents among the people. The people were his people. We're talking about God's chosen people. And God punishes those that he loves. Think back to the very beginning, Adam and Eve. The ones created by God. And yet we see punishment 
that is carried out even to this day. You can notice in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16 how the woman has punishment to where in childbearing we see that there is, there is pain. You see, skip down to verse 18 and we see by, by the work of his hands both thorn and thistles are going to be a plague to the man within his future. From there on out as he works he's going to have these things to contend with. Thinking about that, I think about Matthew chapter 7 and verse 22. When it says, Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? He says, And then I will declare unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me. When you think about that of those that profess Christ, it's one thing to profess Christ, but really Christ expects us to not only profess him, but to live like it. He wants us to profess it and make it our lifestyle. Now, in a similar manner, we see that God does punish his own, but in a similar manner, we also see that death came about. Lives were lost. People actually died in the punishment. Notice again in verse 7, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Make a... Oops, sorry, verse 7. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away these serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. I actually missed it. It's the end of verse 6. And many of the people of Israel died. You see, lives were lost. Many people say, well, God is so good that he would never send anyone to be lost. No one would ever have to go to hell because God is so good. And we can see from the example, the same God of that day is the same God that we serve today. Just as lives were lost then on judgment, lives will be lost that are not true to God's word, that are not true to God's commands, that are not true to Christ. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41 Says, then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. There is death that awaits those that don't live for God. You look at another verse in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, a verse that we quote often, that we, we read often. It says, Enter ye in by the narrow gate, and then it compares it with the other, and it says, For wide is the gate, and broad is the way. that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. There's many people that will go on this path that leads to hell, that leads to eternal damnation, that leads to suffering and pain and a terrible, terrible existence. Within that, we see in Ephesians chapter 5, he's talking about sinners there, and he's referring to them or making making reference to them, he says they won't have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. He won't have any inheritance. He's not going to have anything to look forward to because there's a different place that's prepared. Within living the Christian lifestyle, we have something that awaits us. There's something more grand. There is something better. But now notice in verse 7, in Numbers chapter 21 and verse 7, lives were lost, but they recognized... A need for help. 
In verse 7, once again, it says, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpent from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Today, we have the same problems that they were experiencing. There was sin in the camp. There was sin amongst them. There was sin as a part of their lives. They were, they were acknowledging it in verse 7. We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord. They lost sight of what really was supposed to be in view in the home in heaven. And they just got caught up in the here and the now. Oh no, what will I drink? Oh no, what will I be able to eat if I have to eat that nasty bread one more day? So we see that they get caught up in the little things and lose sight of the promised land. I'm not talking about the eternal promised land for them. I'm talking about the immediate, the one that they were headed to see. And they lost sight. Romans chapter 3 lays it out within our need for help today. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, they're in trouble because they've sinned. You can go on to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. It kind of builds on it just a little bit. It says, Who commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. In the final building of law block upon that if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9 he says do you not know he asks the question obviously you should know he said do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of God so therefore he says look all have sinned sin is breaking of the law and therefore he says those that are unrighteous will not be going to heaven, meaning lives will be lost. The true contaminant, sin. The contamination that, that they see at this point, the sin that was in the camp, God then sends the serpents that was an immediate problem in their eyes. And so they need to find a cure. They need to find something to do away with this serpent because people are dying. That's the same sin problem we have. People are dying spiritually. Numbers chapter 21, look at verses 8 and 9. Then the Lord says to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looks at the bronze serpent... He lived. First off, notice the Savior lifted up. The song we just sang. Lift him up. Lift the Savior up. Why? Because there was purpose behind it. As we look at the example within our scripture reading, we look at how that it takes place, we understand that Christ had to be lifted up. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9, it says, And having been perfected. He became the author of eternal salvation, talking about Christ, to all who obey him. Now, within that verse, the very last two words, super important. It says, those who obey him. I have no doubt that as you read in Numbers chapter 21, 
when he lays out the guidelines, it says when he looks at it, he shall live. That individual was going to be the one that lived if they went and they looked at the serpent that was up on the pole. I have no doubt from reading this that those that didn't have time to go look at the serpent on the pole died. I have no doubt that those who wouldn't change something in their life so that they could go look at it, they said, man, you know, I'm already sick. I'm just going to stay right here. I have no doubt if they weren't willing to be taken, if they weren't willing to go and to see this serpent on the pole, I have no doubt that death was going to happen, that death was a guarantee. And so within the Savior lifted up, we see the need. Look at John chapter 12. Jesus talks, uh, Jesus talks about this lifting up that would take place. In John chapter 12, Verse 32 and verse 33. Jesus says, And if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Will draw all people to myself. Then it goes on in verse uh, 33 to say, This he said, signifying by what death he would die, how it was going to take place. So we see that Christ would be lifted up just as the serpent the Savior for them was lifted up in the wilderness. Now, as you think about numbers, notice that it was a narrow way of salvation. Okay? He said that they had to look upon it. He didn't give many guidelines. However, within the guidelines that he gave, there is no doubt that if one didn't follow his set guidelines, there's no doubt that the promises wouldn't come his way. I think of Naaman. If you look at 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 10. In 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 10, you have Naaman and uh, there's a big problem because he's got leprosy. Within that, Elisha sends a messenger to him and he says, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you. I have no doubt that if he went and he dipped five times and he said, Look, I'm tired of this. I've done five times and I haven't seen any change. I'm going home. I have no doubt that he would have went home with leprosy and that would have been the end of the story. I have no doubt that if he, he said, you know, I'm not going at all, and he never went to the Jordan, and he never dipped in the Jordan, I have no doubt that leprosy would have stayed with him. It would have been there. I have no doubt if he sent someone and said, look, why don't you just go dip your finger in the Jordan, bring me back that drip of water, and just put it on me, and we'll see if that works. I have no doubt that it still wouldn't have worked. Within God's narrow guidelines... It's a requirement that we follow them how he says. Otherwise, we can't expect the promises that come along with them. It's no wonder in Matthew 7, verse 14, when it's, we just, we looked at verse 13, but in verse 14 it says, Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be who find it. Meaning, you've got to do it God's way. The masses aren't going to choose to. The masses aren't going to search out the narrow way, but rather they're going to find the easy way. They're going to take the easy road. And God says, look, it's a difficult way. It's tough to be a Christian. Struggles come with being a Christian. Life gets bad when you're a Christian. But yet you have to get up and keep pressing forward. Within, within that passage, we see there were people who found life. 
it says that they lived. The children of Israel that went and did what God said and they looked at the serpent on the pole, they lived. Today, we can have life. We can find life in the cure, in the Savior lifted up. You know, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, it says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. There's a way to be saved. There's a name through whom we can find salvation. You know, in John chapter 14, Jesus says in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's a single, small, narrow way for salvation today. And it's only through Jesus Christ. As you think about the Christ, let's, for just a few moments, look at John chapter 3. The scripture reading which we read, John chapter 3, it might add some relevance to our understanding of John chapter 3 and verse 16, but as you look at John chapter 3, we see a few things here as we notice the Christ. John chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 13, it says, No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. Then he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. First off, notice the prophecy. Christ would be lifted up on the cross. In verse 14 he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent, he said, Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Another prophecy pointing to who is the Christ. We see the prophecy fulfilled. Uh, you can go to John 19. We see the crucifixion of Christ as he's lifted up on the cross. Lifted up the, the, the death that was prophesied that he was speaking of. Just as the serpent was lifted up, we see the Christ, the Savior of us today. The children of Israel had a Savior in the serpent that was on the pole. However, today, our Savior is much greater than that. Our Savior lifted up on a pole, our Savior that was lifted up on the cross, died so that we could have life. Isn't that interesting that they used a serpent as the one on a pole so that they could look upon it and find life? We see the prophecy in verse 14. We see the perishing in verse 15. In 3 verse 15, as you read through it, it says that whosoever believes in him should not perish. There's people that are perishing because they don't have the Savior. There are people that are perishing because they don't have the Christ. There's only one way to find salvation, and it's through Him. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. We see the Savior. We see one that is looking to save. His purpose in coming was to save us. And finally, as you think about the perishing, think last about us. Think about Christians. Think, think about our lives. That is, think about the pilgrims. At the end of verse 15, it says, but have everlasting life. We're not promising big houses on earth. We're not promising uh, we're not making many promises about anything on earth. We promise that you'll be alive. Promise that there'll be food. 
water, and shelter. We promise that you'll be cared for for something much greater. That's not to say that you might not lose your life for Christ. That's not to say that things won't get really bad in your life for the cause of Christ. But yet we have something so much more important that no matter what we struggle through, we can press on. In 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 11, he says, Beloved, I beg you as, sojourn as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. As pilgrims, don't let life get you down. When you think about the children of Israel and all the great things that came their way, they let life get in the way. And therefore, people lost their life. And then they recognize the need of the Savior. They recognize the contamination that's in their life, and they say, we need a cure. And we need people today to understand that we need a cure because sin is killing us individually. Sin is killing families throughout all of our nation. Sin is destroying the people around the world because... They need the cure. They don't have the cure. They don't have the Christ, the only way in which they can find life. So the question is today, are we putting our trust in the Savior lifted up? There's a narrow way, I, I agree. There's only one person in which you can put your trust and find life. Well, it was no different for the children of Israel. If they tried to put their trust in anything else, they might have had somebody that they thought was a really good doctor. They said, you know, they've got all the best home remedies. I know my grandmother had lots of good ideas and said, well, if you use... I'm like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. However, they could have had people that had great home remedies, but I assure you it would not work against the serpent that had bit them. The facts are, if they wanted life, they needed to look to the Savior who was lifted up. If you want life today, we have to look to the Savior that was lifted up in understanding that Jesus says... I am the way, I am the truth, I am life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. There's a few verses I think of. I think of Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. For as many of you as been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. I want to be in Christ. That's where I want to be found because I know the Savior lifted up is the narrow way. I think about Jesus. He said, he that confesses me before, my, uh, he that confesses me, uh, before men, him will I also confess before my Father which is in heaven. I'm going to trust Jesus. I think of Luke 13, 3, as Jesus speaking there says, I tell you, nay, except you repent. I mean, turn, turn your life around. Except you repent. He says, you shall all likewise perish. So the question tonight is, do you put your trust in the Savior lifted up? If you don't, I encourage you tonight, make that change to make Him the Savior in your life. Please come as we stand and sing.